Good morning. Would you stand together with me uh, as we read the word? We're going to honor God's word. He does that above his name. So I'm just going to read a few verses. We're going to be in chapters 21 through 23 this morning. So we're not going to be going in depth in that way. I'm going to give you some bullet points as we talk about God's covenant love. But I want to go back to chapter 20 because this, the end of chapter 20 going to 21, 23, and then chapter 24 puts the bookends where where they need to be. So here we go. In chapter 20, Exodus 20, verse 22. I'm reading from the New King James Version. You may have a different one, but here we go. Then the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make anything to be with me, gods of silver or gods of gold you shall not make for yourselves. An altar of earth you shall make for me. And you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. And if you make my, me an, an altar of stone, you shall not build it, or with, build it of hewn stone. For if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. Nor shall you go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. And we'll get to chapter 24 as we go into the study. Responsive reading, Psalm 99. So I'm going to read the first and odd verses. If you could follow together reading the second and even verses, and then we'll take the first nine all together. The Lord reigns, let the people tremble. He dwells between the cherubim, let the earth be moved. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. He spoke to them in the cloudy pillar. They kept his testimonies and the ordinances he gave them. All together. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill. For the Lord our God is holy. Lord, we bow before you. You are holy. High and lifted up. We are not worthy of the least of of your mercies. And yet you are a merciful and gracious God who has revealed himself to us, who wants to speak to us, meet with us, that we might know you. So we humble ourselves, Lord, particularly as we read the word and we go through your word. You've given to us in such abundance. Yet, Lord, it's not information. It's transformation that you are the one who can who wants to do that in our lives. So I pray this morning the things I prepared, break them fresh right now in this place through the word and speak to us, Lord, and give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. You are holy, and we bow before you. We declare your name. We worship you. Please, Lord, bless this time now in your word, in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. You can be seated. And so I want to begin with these two bookends to really set again, in our minds, as we go through these chapters in in Exodus, go to Leviticus, and all the way through the Old Testament, that central to everything is the altar. 
And that altar is the place where the blood was applied. And our altar is the cross. And so as he, the Lord says here, you shall say to the children of Israel, I've talked to you from heaven. Now that's incredible. God's spoken times past to the prophet, but he's spoken to us through his dear son. He has spoken from heaven. You shall not make anything to be with me. God, God's other silver or gold. You can't try and represent me, any of those things. But then he says in verse 24, an altar of earth you shall make for me. It's God's altar. And he's the one who asked them to make it. He's the one who provided that for them. And it's there that he met them. You shall make for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings, your peace offerings, your sheep, and your oxen. Every place where I record my name, I will come to you, and I will bless you. Where? At the altar. And if you make an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone, for then, for, for if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. So what's he saying? This altar belongs and is provided by God. It's his altar. It's an altar of earth. Or of stone, but he's saying no human element added whatsoever. In other words, God could have no sinner profaning his altar. So no works, no human engineering, no effort in building it, no flesh, no human flesh exposure. In worshiping God. Ground level for anyone who would come. No works, no flesh. It's an altar sprinkled with blood. So in Exodus 24, which we'll be getting in our next study, God's covenant dedication. We read verse 1, if you, if you could turn there or be there. Now he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abu, the 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall people go up with him. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord, and all the judges, and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord has said, we will do. They're, in, they're, they're all in. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord... And he rose early in the morning and built, here it is, an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in the basins and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read in, read in the hearing of, of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. And Moses took again the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. It's the altar. It's the blood. So it's this blood of the covenant ratifying with blood applied to the altar, to the people, to the book. God provided for all human sin. At the altar. And that altar is the cross. Pictured in all these things we're going to be studying now as we go through these books. The Ten Commandments are given at an, an awesome thing. But they were given with an altar in mind. The law was given to point to our need and to God's provision through the one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. What was the due time? The cross. Testify. As Moses now receives these civil laws for Israel, 
we'll get to the ceremonial laws in Leviticus. They are received at the altar of sacrifice. As the people receive the covenant, they receive it at the altar of sacrifice. As the Lord dedicated the covenant, he dedicated it at the altar of sacrifice. So as we look at this, this, it's what I would call, well, it is the sole work of God in what the Bible calls propitiation. In Romans chapter 3, verse 19, Here's the, I'm going to give you the, we're going to go through the scriptures which talk, have this word, propitiation. What is that? Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. The problem is not the law, the problem is the sin that the law exposes. Romans 3, verse 21. But now the, right, but now the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who, what? Believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by His grace, through the redemption is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth, there it is, to be a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Listen, brothers and sisters, this is it. This is it. Our righteousness before God is imputed to us at the altar of sacrifice, at the cross. The law was never intended to do that. Romans 3.27. Where is boasting then? Can you imagine what heaven would be like? Well, it wouldn't even be heaven. It would be like we're living still on earth. Man, I got, I'm one up on you, man. You know what I did for God? And we'd just be boasting about all these things we did for God. When really the only thing we can boast in is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And through that work of God, that finished, complete work of God, we have relationship with God and we, stand at the, we will stand at that throne as one multitude. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive glory and honor and wisdom and power. He has slain his blood shed for us. Is God believing is God's righteousness imputed to us? <laughs> Where's by what law? The law of faith? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Hebrews chapter 2. Therefore, in all things he ought to be like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. Here it is, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. We need a human sacrifice, if you will. We need someone who didn't have to pay sin. There's only one, one person. It's Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God through him. You want to be right with God today? There's only one altar. It's called the cross. 
<laughs> so it says there, to make, for, for in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to, to aid those who are tempted. Fully human. He experienced all of human, humanity. First John chapter 2. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, it doesn't say but if anyone sins. And if anyone sins, because we all sin, fall short of the glory of God. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the, there it is again, propitiation for our sins and not for ours only. Get this, not for ours only, but for the whole world. World. <laughs> I mean, just think of what God did. First John 4, 9. In this is the love of God. In this, the love of God was manifested to us that God has sent his son into the only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God. That's almost like, why wouldn't you love God? In this is the love. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, and here it is, and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also should love one another. Propitiation. What is propitiation? Let me, before, before we put that up there, do you understand that God's wrath against sin must be dealt with, must be meted out on sin. So as sinners, we were under the wrath of God, whether, that is, whether you like that idea or not, that is what the truth is. His wrath against sin to punish it. There's been sort of this lightening up of the wrath of God. May I say to you, the wrath of God must be satisfied. He's holy. He is just. No one escapes it. We're all under that judgment. There's a real hell created for the devil and his angels. We cannot know the fullness and depth of the good news until we know the fullness and depth of the bad news. And the bad news is we're all guilty before God and under his wrath. So propitiation is the love of God satisfying the wrath of God and releasing the mercy of God. That's why in the tabernacle, as we look at it, and Jesus himself is called the mercy seat. You have the mercy seat and the cherubim over that and the blood sprinkled on the mercy seat. And inside that mercy seat, in that ark, is the law fulfilled by Jesus Christ who is our mercy seat. And so... We can come freely and receive forgiveness and cleansing because the work is finished. Oh, well, also, I don't know if I got that covered. And the devil comes along and says, you have sinned in that area like five, six, seven. You've sinned. God's done with you. No, no, no. The cross, the altar. Go to the altar again and realize that our righteousness is not ours. It's God's righteousness imputed to us through what he accomplished through Jesus Christ on the cross. And when I believe the gospel, it's not light gospel. It's not this. E no, it's the gospel that our salvation was costly. Because God is holy. 
And so you, my friend, myself, we were under his wrath, and Jesus came as the mercy seat, the propitiation, the, the love of God, satisfying the wrath of God and releasing the mercy of God. And his mercies are new how often? Every morning. You wake up. I don't know what happened yesterday. You wake up and wake up to the throne of grace, to the mercy seat of God. If I don't keep going on, we're never going to get through this study today. But solidify that this morning again in your heart. It's the altar. No works, no flesh, no engineering, no efforts. It's what God did. And thus we become responsible. We become accountable. We become those who serve the Lord our God. So I have a handout. They're on the corners of this stage Going through the three related but different laws in the Bible, we'll be covering this, but I wanted to have that, you can get that, explain a lot more than we have time for this morning. But here are the three, which I just shared, the three sort of outline points of, this, of our study today. You are responsible, you are accountable, you shall serve the Lord your God. That's the three things I'm going to walk through. No, so we got three chapters here, so how long you got? All day. All day. She said, I didn't say that, she said all day. So here, here let, let me just start. Can we get that? Oh, yeah, there you go. You're responsible. You're accountable. You shall serve the Lord your God. I am responsible. I am accountable. But I'll tell you what, as Josh said, as for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to serve. That's the covenant love. That's what we're looking at. And so you're responsible. And I got eight here and eight accountable. So we'll just bullet point them. I'll share a little bit as I peruse them myself again. But number one, you are responsible, listen, beginning of all of it, to love freedom. God loves freedom. Amen. The greatest freedom we'll ever experience is the freedom from sin, death, and hell that he provided for. He loves freedom. He, Jesus said, I came to set the captive free, delivery to the, the blind, set those who are free from oppression. God loves freedom, and we are responsible for freedom. So as you look at this first, verses 1 through 11, now there are judgments, these are the judgments that you shall set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years and in the seventh year shall go out free. Free. Now our culture is much different and we think of slavery, particularly in these last couple, as something that's uh, obviously wrongly exercised. But here's what the Lord said. He said, so for the, for the Hebrew, he could sell himself and his wife in order to sell, pay a debt off. But God always limited it to six years. The seventh year, you're going free. Even with those prisoners of war who may have been taken captive as prisoners, God said six years, they're free. God loves freedom. Do you love freedom? Of course, we love freedom. But freedom is a responsibility. And under God's law, under, in God's heart, it's never to keep people in bondage. It's to be able to get them out of debt and release them in freedom. So I love this part of it. But if that servant, verse 5, if the servant plainly says, I love my master, I love my wife, I love my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to the judges, verse 6. He shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost. And his master shall pierce his ear with an awl. And he shall serve him forever. What's the picture? It's the believer. 
There is no greater freedom than to be a slave to God. And so the judges had the authority over someone's destiny. They were there by God. They had the authority over someone's destiny. But as this servant said, plainly says, I love my master. I, lo- I love my life. I love what I have. My master is so wonderful. My master is so loving. My master is such taking care of me. I don't want to go out. The greatest freedom I could ever have is to just be with my master. Let him dictate. Let him direct my life. But, and so basically what's happening here, this person, this servant, is now determining his own destiny. I'm going to stay right here. Let me ask you something. Is that not true of your relationship through Jesus Christ with God? To whom shall I go? He has given me such freedom. He loves me so much. And not only for me, but for my wife and for my children, for my family. We're not going anywhere. He is taking care of us. He will continue. He's proved that. Has Jesus not proved himself faithful in your life? And freedom is something that is responsibility. To say, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying with God. I'm staying under the love of God. I'm going to allow him to make the choice. So here we have this picture of Jesus in Psalm 40, verse 6. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened, which means pierced. This is a prophetic uh, psalm. But burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your laws within my heart. Now, this, this psalm is quoted in the book of Hebrews to give us what he's saying. What he's saying is Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 10, for the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, again, the law, can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, please note, in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. Every time they're going to the altar, to the altar with the calf, with the goat. So he says, for it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So every time you bring a sacrifice, I'm guilty again, I'm guilty again. I got to bring it again, bring it again, bring it again. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. But now he goes on in verse 10, verse 5. Therefore, when he came into the world, <laughs> he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. Propitiation. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to what? The law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. (laughs) It's incredible. By that will, God's will, Jesus' will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Propitiation. The the love of God satisfying the wrath of God and releasing the mercy of God. To which the law pointed. So we read this servant in the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 52, this servant, my servant, shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. 
Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man. Literally, he was crucified and beaten so mercilessly, you couldn't even identify him as a human being. Propitiation. And his form more than the sons of man, men, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him, for what had not been told them they shall see, and what they had not heard they shall consider. It happened in his history in time on planet earth. Propitiation. Our Lord crucified, taking the wrath of God upon himself. Isaiah 53, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul human, an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul. Remember in the garden, he was so, it was so intense that his capillaries were breaking and blood came out of, I mean, it was this intense battle that's, that Jesus went through humanly. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. The love of God, satisfying the wrath of God and releasing the mercy of God, propitiation. By his knowledge, <laughs> my righteous servant shall justify many for he shall bear their sins. Is that so powerful? Is that so moving in our hearts? May the Holy Spirit, even when we're singing that song, that last song, I, I, told, I said, Sylvia, we gotta, we got to close with that. So we're going to close with that song. It's Jesus. What he's done and accomplished for us. And so the first thing that crossed my mind as I was reading this first section, God loves freedom. And we're responsible for freedom. Secondly, now, I'm not going to spend all that time on each one of them, so otherwise I'd be here 16 hours. <laughs> but number two, we're responsible. You are resp- I am responsible, you'll like this one, to love Social Security. How many love Social Security? <laughs> he who strikes a man, verse 12, so that he dies shall surely be put to death. However, if he did not lie in wait, but God delivered him into his hand, then I will, I will appoint for you a place where you may flee. So God set up these, these uh, uh, re- refuge cities. What do they call them? Yeah, cities of refuge. Verse 14, but if a man acts with premeditation against his neighbor to kill him by treachery, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. In other words, premeditated murder will ruin society if not punished. Capital punishment. Do we love Social Security? Well, if there's someone out there treacherously killing people, and we've seen that many times in history, these, these, what do you call them? Serial killers. He's saying capital punishment is necessary for Social Security. Number two, physical violence gets a parent. And then in verse 17, cursing a parent, wishing evil... Again, we looked at this last week. The sanctity of marriage, the sanctity of family. That must be protected if society is going to even make it. So this violence against a parent, he who strikes his father, shall surely be put to death. Kidnapping, verse 16. He who kidnaps a man sells him and his, 
or if he is found in his hand, shall surely be put to death. Human life is valued by God. It's not up for sale. It's not up for any of that. And God's saying, you need to protect that. If there's going to be a secure place in a society, if it's going to be a secure society, it's got to have these things in place. We're responsible for the security of our society. And God's saying here, these things need to be removed. Now, I know that's in our culture, that's trying to be somewhat like that's a bad thing. God's saying, no, that's the right thing. Third, we're responsible for our responses. How I react, how I respond in situations, I'm responsible for that. Now, there's a lot of that going on too. Well, no, the, the, well, Skip, Will, how many remember Flip Wilson? Anyone remember Flip Wilson, the comedian? The devil made me do it. <laughs> well, the devil certainly wants to help you, but we are responsible for our reactions, our responses in situations when it gets tense. So he says, if men contend with each other and one strikes the other with a stone or with his fist, verse 18, and he does not die but is confined to his bed, if he rises again and walks about outside with his staff, then he who struck him shall be acquitted. He shall only pay for the loss of his time and shall provide for him to be thoroughly healed. You need to take care of that. We're responsible. We did it. And if a man beats his male and female servant with a rod so that he dies under his hand, he shall surely be punished. Notwithstanding, if he remains alive a day or two, he shall not be punished, for he is his property. If men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm falls, he shall surely be punished according to the women's husband imposes. And then he says this whole thing of what I would call vengeance. The picture here is vengeance. We are responsible for our responses when there's physical injury. Whatever part I play, I'm responsible. But vengeance, now look at verse 23. But if any, any harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand. Foot. This is restrictive. It's not license. In other words, vengeance. And I want to look at the differences between justice, vindication, and vengeance. Under justice, your people are... You're giving people their due in both reward and punishment. That's justice. This may be, listen carefully, because this is a touch point for many of us, social justice. Let's put that aside for a moment. Let's talk about justice. This may be economically. It may be socially. It may be criminally. It may be racially. You can add many things to that. But listen, God's the one who must detail what justice is. And he has detailed it in his word. So we must be rooted in a biblical worldview if we're going to have a correct view of justice. All people are created in the image of God and equal in his sight, valued in his sight. This idea of social justice as a branch of justice is valid. In fact, I think it was in the 1840s when it first came and became a part of the, the conversation. In that, in that time, a good thing. But listen, it is no longer valid when it becomes a weapon to wage war against God, against God's image, against God's laws, against God's ways, against God's truth. 
and most importantly, and battery it all against his love. So there are a lot of things, and I'll leave it for you to continue to think on, but we are thinking a lot about this even if we don't want to. If we don't have a biblical worldview, we will not have a biblical justice, period. And so all of God's creative beauty and the colors that we are is a part of God's creation, God's beauty, God's image. But in a perverted justice, now it becomes a a means of identifying someone who's an oppressor. You know what I'm talking about. So this whole idea of justice, vindication simply means to be shown to be right. So Jesus vindicated at the resurrection. You know what he was saying was true. (laughs) That's vindication. Revenge or vengeance is that the person who is injured is himself injured. The person who inflicted pain is punished, but always equal to the crime. The Bible, and I don't like this, okay? My flesh does not like this. But the Bible never allows me to be my own avenger. Now, you like the Avenger movies? That's probably why. The Avengers, yeah. But vengeance is not evil because God is the avenger. It must take place. It's a part of the, the, the law, which is the heart and love of God. Vengeance is mine, I will pay, says the Lord. So listen, God is going to take care of these things. Do I trust that he will? Because we read in Romans, the rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you'll have praise from the same. Now, what, the question I have, and I'll leave it at this, just a question. What happens when the government is not doing good? When they're actually out doing evil? Does that come under this banner of justice? Not at all. He says, so overcome evil with good. So revenge, (laughs) here's our problem. We don't like a tie. We want to win. So it's not one tooth for one tooth. I'm going to get two teeth for your one, for my one. I'm going to get two eyes for my one. That, that is not good. That's evil. That's not vengeance. Someone said a tie, you know, we, we don't want a tie. It's like kissing your sister. I want to win. And that's the problem. Innate in our hearts is that we want to hurt more than we were hurt. We want to inflict pain more than we were pained. So how can I expect in my wounded state to be unbiased in my reactions? I need to defer to God. I need to be good. That's why we don't take vengeance on ourselves, we, ourselves, we need to continually let God be the avenger. Uh, number four, how are we doing here? Oh, man, we got plenty of time. <laughs> Here's another one. You are responsible for your negligences. In verses 28 through 36, verse, chapter 21. If an ox gores a man or a woman to death, then the ox shall surely be stoned. How many of you have ox? 
How many have a dog? I would say a cat, but cats, they don't make a lot of noise, but I don't think they can hurt you. <laughs> Listen, he's saying, hey, if you knew that your dog had attacked others and you didn't do anything about it, you're responsible. You're responsible. Responsible for our negligence. If a man opens a pit and an animal falls in, if he didn't know that, but if he knew that pit was there and didn't do something about it, he's responsible. If someone gets hurt, he's responsible. We are responsible for our negligences. We can't go blaming it away. We are responsible to make full restitution for our trespasses. That's in chapter 21, verses 1 through 13. A man steals an ox. Five ox in return. Sheep, four in return. So God's means of restitution, it has a broad, a broad uh, area and ways in which we make restitution. But the bottom line is, we are responsible to make restitution when we've done some of these things. We've done things we weren't supposed to do. In fact, you know what? I just saw this this morning. I wrote it a little down. A mom of... A mom of Chicago train robbery suspect recognizes him, her son, drags him to the police station. So here's his mom watching TV. That's my son. They, they got it on the, you know, the camera thing, and he just robbed a conductor on a train, and now he's trying to get away. And the mom sees her son and drags him to the police station. Friends, that is amazing. But this mom knew something about what's right and what's wrong. Number six, you are responsible to take care of your, what you borrow. Tools, cars. Number seven, you are responsible for your passions. Verses 16 and 17, if a man entices a virgin who is not betrothed and lies with her, he shall surely pay the bride price for her to be his wife. If her father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money according to the bride price of virgins. Unmarried girls, our culture is so different. But unmarried girls belong to their father. And a girl who is not a virgin would not be sought out as a wife to the grief of her father and to the cost to the father. Their culture is set up in marriages and, and these uh, means by which they were planning for that. It was a shame when this would happen. The offender was required to marry the girl to take on that responsibility that he put. But if the father didn't want him as son-in-law, the man could pay the dowry and be set free. He's responsible for his passions. He enticed the woman. He may have even raped the woman. And God said, you are responsible now for what you did. Your passions took over. You're responsible. Marry her. Now, wouldn't dads, wouldn't you like this one? You know, you don't like the guy. Your dads are daughters. And you just say, you know what? You know, you're not. No way. That's what, that's what they did. But he still had to pay. Here, uh, number seven, number eight, you're responsible to love spiritual security. You got social, just went through a few of those. Spiritual security. This is in, in verse 18. You shall not permit a sorceress to live. That's one who's calling on demonic spirits Demonic beings. And I will say to you, when we were, our kids were growing up, 
there were things that were off limits to them, to many believers. And I was part of that. I, you know, I, ever since I can remember, probably because of my mom and dad, but ever since I can remember in my life, early in my life and ever since, I just don't want to be around anything that even begins to hint of demonic stuff. It's dangerous. It's not something to play around with, like the Ouija board. Remember the Ouija board? Hey, Ouija, we need you. We're going to ask a wild question. Who, do you remember that? And there's this dabbling with the occult. It's occultic. God said those gods that the Egypts worship were demonic. And so God's saying, you better love what the spiritual security that comes in not even playing around with these things that make these demonic things sort of fun. It's not fun. It's not fun. You shall, whoever lies with an animal shall surely be put to death. Now, I'm looking at this thinking, wow, that is so, like, gross. But then I started thinking, you know the gods of the Egyptians? You know how they depicted? Animals with human heads or human whatever. You see, I look at embracing demonic spirits. Embracing demonic beings. Entering into these relationships with animals sexually is a perversion, but not that it is extremely dangerous. Someone's passed this, this place spiritually. They're actually engaging in sexual activity, one of the strongest drives in the human being. Bestiality. And then he who sacrificed any God except to the Lord only, he shall be utterly destroyed. Sacrificing to demonic beings. Brothers and sisters, particularly moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, what are you, is there anything that's going on? Dabbling in a book, a series of books, a game, some other games. And if you really begin to look at them, it's making sort of fun things that should be extremely guarded against. My grandma and grandpa, who I love dearly in Maine, they were devout Christians. And when my grandfather died, my grandmother started going to seances. And I wasn't, I forget how old I was at that point. I think we were married already. When I talked to her, I said, you don't want to be doing that. Right? But see, when it's such a brokenness and such an emptiness and such these things, and that's the void that Satan wants to fill. That's what he wants to do. And he's subtle. He's cunning. He's way beyond wise as far as we're concerned with what he is a master of deception. And he'll come in as an angel of light and stroke all the feelings when behind it is something that is so dangerously deadly. Now, I'm 
going longer than I did last service, so we'll be here for another two hours. Are you good with that? <laughs> I hope I'm just, just elucidating some things that are so important as far as our responsibility and now our accountability to God. We are responsible. We are accountable. That's what the law, in this case, is saying, hey, these you shall not, these you shall. Here's how it works. Here's what you do for social security, but also for spiritual security. And then he says, so these, the reminder of the next chapter, all the remainder, strangers, widows, fatherless children, the poor, are neighbors, and how we're to treat them. You're accountable. So the first one is, you shall be mindful, for you are strangers. You're accountable. God delivered. So when others, when these strangers don't oppress them, don't look down, you treat them like I treated you. You deliver them like I delivered you. You take care of them. You shall be gracious, for I am gracious, number two. How we treat people must be with grace and kindness. If the widow or fatherless child corrupts me, God says, I'm going to hear it. They should be, you should be hearing it when they cry out to you. Because I've been gracious to you. Number three, you shall not revile God. That goes without saying. And yet it's in here. You shall not revile God, nor curse a ruler of your people. Don't despise and berate. Insult. Begins with God and my relationship with him. And how it relate, it's the same thing now to his authorities. And we already talked about a little bit about that. Number four, you shall not delay giving God his due. Don't delay. First thing, you shall not delay to offer the first of your ripe, verse 29, your produce, your juices, the firstborn of your sons. God, give God his due. First thing, don't delay. Don't hesitate. No question, just do it. Verse 31, you shall be holy to God. Verse number Chapter 23, 1 through 9, you shall not pervert justice. Now, I want to just go. There's seven things that I've listed. I'm sure there are more. You shall not pervert justice, as we talked about justice. So now he's going to talk about justice. And he says there, number one, false witnessing is, is not just. It's not justice. These are the things that are perversions of justice, false witnesses. People don't even care. They lie anymore. I've told many people, I am sick of being lied to. If that's what's going on, we have no, we have no, it's perverting justice. Amen. Look at number, and these are so applicable. Number, verse number two in chapter 23, mob rule is a perversion of justice. So a mob drives up their cars to Nordstrom, everyone gets out, robs the store, gets back in their cars and drives away. That is perversion of justice, that is unjust. And yet what's going on here? I'll tell you what's going on here. It's lawlessness. There's no law. Number three, partiality based on social status is injustice, perversion. Number four, this is an interesting one to me too as I was studying. Seven perversions of justice. This one is withholding help. That's verses four and five. In other words, when I see my enemy needs help, to do what's just in God's sight is to help them. When I see one who I know hates me or I hate them, and I see a, a need there to help them, I need to help them. I don't like that one either. 
Justifying the wicked is a perversion of justice. And yet, what are we seeing? See, God's giving all these things. says, we're accountable. This is not going to just go by the way. We are accountable. And so are all people. Taking bribes. Do these apply to our nation, government, whatever you want to put it? Taking bribes is a perversion of justice. It will pervert justice. And it is perverting justice. Number seven, oppressing strangers. You shall not oppress a stranger, for you know the heart of a stranger, because you were stranger in the land of you, where you started. The lady of justice, blindfolded, with sword in one hand and balances in the other. It symbolized that nothing she saw was going to pervert what she did. That's justice. In other words, what is right not how I want to see it, not how I want to look at it, but what does God say is right? What does God say is just? He has shown you, man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Micah 6, 8. You'll like this one, number seven. You shall rest. You shall rest. That's part of God's accountable, we're accountable to God, to rest, because he rested, and he's given it to us in the created uh, design that we need this rhythm of six and one. We talked about that last week. And then here's another one you'll like. You shall feast three times a year. Three times you shall keep a feast to me. In the year, you shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. You shall eat unleavened bread for seven days, as I commanded you at the time I appointed it in the month of Abib, which is March, somewhere in March and April for us. For in it you came out of Egypt, none shall appear before me empty. You got to come and feast, and this feast of unleavened bread, the Passover, is us feasting, us celebrating the fact that Jesus was crucified on Passover. It's his death. We celebrate that. Secondly, and the feast of harvest, the first fruits of your labors which you have sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering at the end of the year, when you have gathered in the fruit of your labors from the field. So the end of spring harvest, which would have been May, June, you would have this feast of harvest, which is what? Pentecost, which is the resurrection of Christ we celebrate. Third, this is all in the law. Uh, he says there in verses, verse 16, excuse me, uh, the Feast of Ingathering, verse 16, Christ, depicts Christ's second coming. This is in September, October. There is a feast that we are celebrating now, knowing it's going to come then. He's coming again. So these three feasts were agricultural, historical, required annual attendance. Close with these, with our final section. You shall serve the Lord your God. That's it. We're responsible, we're accountable. We shall serve the Lord our God. Because as we started out, there's no better place to be than to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I send my angel before you to keep you, to bring you. This angel is in a, the, the theophany of Jesus Christ himself. We have God going before us in all matters. I'm going to go before you Obey him. Obey his voice. I'm going to make your enemies my enemies. My angel will go before you and bring you into the Amorites. And he names these names. God is going before us in all these things. I will send my fear before you. 
In other words, simply summarized, God's out in front. In all these things, he's telling my angel's going to go before you. I'm going to keep you. I'm going to drive them out. You're going to drive them out. I'm going to lead you. And little by little, he says at the end, little by little, I'm going to give you the land. Why little by little? I wish he'd give it to all. No, we couldn't handle it. But in this process of knowing our responsibilities and knowing our accountabilities, little by little, as we simply follow him, he does the work needed to be done to then open up this just places of such blessing in our lives we can't contain it. I close just, he says in verse 21, and I will set your bounds from Red Sea to the sea. Boundaries. And when I look at these laws, I look at them as fences of love. And where there is the love of God, it's protection and freedom. Whereas in the absence of the love of God, it's like a prison for people who don't love God. So these fences that God erects are fences of love. He says, socially, if you live within these fences, you'll be protected, you'll be free. You want to climb over them? You can. But you're going to find there the prison and bondage that he's trying to protect us from. And so as we look at the law of God, we can either look at it from the love of God or the absence of the love of God. And what God is wanting to do is lead us in pastures of righteousness and goodness and freedom and joy, the fruit of the Spirit, freeing us from all these things that would bring us into bondage. And here's, here's what I've, as I was capturing this whole thing for me, and I trust for all of us, is one thing that takes care of all these things. Keep our eyes on Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. We have a relationship with the Son of God who always leads us in triumph, who came to set us free, who leads us in these things called law, but we relate to him now through the law of faith, having been, made, been justified by his blood in relationship with him, and if we can just fix our eyes on him day by day, day in and day out, Jesus, my redeemer, Jesus, my, my captain, Jesus, my savior, Jesus, my shepherd. I'm finding more and more what used to sound so simplistic now sounds so complete, so complete, because he's the answer. He is a fulfillment of the law. So I want to encourage you in closing, if Sophia could come out in the band as we sing this last song. I can't really sing it because I get choked up. <laughs> but when I think of the things that we're singing, they are all absolutely true. We're not making up some song. We're not, oh, I wish it was so. No, this is what it is to know Jesus. This is what it is to follow after him who goes before us in all these matters. 
and begins to instruct us on our responsibilities, begins to help us in our accountability, and we begin to grow in the Lord. And would you want to be anywhere else? No, I look at where I am now. I'm not where I want to be, but I'll tell you, I'm glad I'm not where I was. Why? Because I'm so faithful and so good? <laughs> no, because God is so faithful and God is so good and he has wrapped it all up in his son and he who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. We have life. I love my life. I love my wife. I love my family. I love what God is doing in my life. Now, there are many times along the way I have not liked what God's doing in my life been difficult and hard. Some of the last couple of years has been difficult, but I tell you, I wouldn't trade it for anything because I have come to understand that God loves me. God has a plan for me. God has a purpose for me. He's going to lead me in, in ways of eternal life. He's going to take care of me. And when I stand before his throne, my lips shall repeat, Jesus paid it all. Amen. He paid it all. And we can stand right here this morning and worship him for who he is. And somehow in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. No matter what's going on, fullness of joy. Would you stand with me and let's worship him? I'll come up and close this with just a short, well, maybe I won't. 